welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We're just going to center our hearts. And the reason that we do this here, um, we'll either share times of silence or um, some Sundays I'll lead folks through the examine and we'll just like center our hearts on God. You know, everybody's so busy and we're so anxious and we're right here all the time on our phones. And so you don't have to do anything. You don't have to read anything on the screen. You don't have to tweet out anything. You don't have to like people's posts. You don't have to worry about if you're getting likes on your posts. You just have to be in the presence of God. So let's just invite God's presence. And we're going to spend anywhere from like three to five minutes in silence. For some of you, that might be difficult, and that's okay. It's like a muscle, and we stretch it, and we grow. Just recenter your heart towards God. Father, we love you. Would you speak to us in only the way that you can? We give you ourselves. Come. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. God, you speak. in our pain and in joy and in your apparent absence at times in suffering through our spouse, through your creation, through a friend, through our circumstances. In all things, God, you are speaking. Your heart is relationship. Your heart is turned towards us Jesus, would you come? Holy Spirit, walk the rows this morning. Transform us from the inside out. Teach us that life is not found in hurry or in rush, but in quiet and in presence. All of the things that are pressed on us that we feel like we need to meet others' expectations or should do or could do or, oh, Father, wash all of that away and expose our identity this morning as a son or a daughter dearly loved and cherished by you. Nothing more, nothing less, just loved by you unconditionally. You hold the keys to our future, Jesus. You know where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Father, you see it all, and you love us. Come, Holy Spirit, pour yourself on our lives, our family, we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
So we're in a series called The Wild Goose, and we're calling it The Wild Goose because there are this group of people in um, Scotland in the Middle Ages who, as the gospel is spreading throughout the UK through St. Patrick and others, that the symbol of the dove for the Holy Spirit is just simply too tame for their liking. And they said, well, the Holy Spirit that we know is, more, is less like a dove and more like a wild goose who um, pursues you, who honks at you rather um, abrasively and is obtrusive to your life and uh, sort of hunts you down rather than us uh, hunting it down. And so that's what we want to get a hold of this morning is for our community is the wild goose and how he would be pursuing our lives. Now, the first um, month of the series was spent on laying the foundation that the Holy Spirit is not an it, but rather the Holy Spirit is a person. He's living, he's breathing, he's speaking, he's dreaming over your life, and the Holy Spirit has stuff that he wants to do and to speak and to dream over your life. And so last Sunday was sort of like this hinge point where we turned from who the Spirit is to the kinds of stuff the Spirit does. And we gave an overview of all of the manifestations, if you will, or the revelation or the unveiling of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so from here out, we're going to go in-depth, and we're going to talk about these things individually and in-depth. And then next Sunday, you're not going to want to miss it. Next Sunday, we have our very uh, dear friend from Columbus. Her name is Mel Forsyth, and she's the lead pastor at Life Vineyard Church on the east side of Columbus, and she's going to be with us. You're not going to want to miss it, and you're going to want to invite a friend. We're just um, anticipating a wonderful and a powerful time together, and so we'll be talking about the stuff that the Spirit does. And this morning, we're going to talk about prophecy. Now, before you, because I know when we say that word prophecy, that's why on your bulletin you'll see parenthetically that we put there listening prayer. Because I'm aware that when I say the word prophecy, there's all kinds of like red lights that are going off on your dashboard. And so if you'd rather call it listening prayer, if that's a little bit less weird for you, then that's cool. But for those of you where the red lights are going off, and some of you, the red lights, the warning lights on the dashboard, you're like, Eben, oh my gosh, I thought this was like a normal church where we just like do the Bible and then get out of here like, Eben's about to get crazy on us. No, like um, just hear me out. Just give me, give me a shot. And we'll listen to what Jesus is saying through the word. So we're going to talk about prophecy. And the best place that I know to do that is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians in chapter 14. And right off the bat, in chapter 14, in verse 1, he says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. This word, um, this phrase, eagerly desire, the Greek word is zeleo, And it means to desire, to eagerly desire, to show zeal, to feel an attitude of emotion or deep concern, to be jealous or envious almost. So Paul is saying, above anything that the Holy Spirit does, above miraculous powers, above tongues, you're like, great, 
That's great. Above anything else that the Holy Spirit does, we as followers of Jesus are to desire to prophesy to the point there's also intrinsic in this word, this imagery of a pot boiling over. To eagerly desire so that the pot is boiling over. We're to want this so badly to hear and then convey what God is speaking to his people. We are to eagerly, like almost covet this. He says, get this. And then we talked about last week, the gifts of the Spirit, what it says, the gifts of the Spirit, we believe is a poor translation in the NIV. The word, the Greek word there is pneumatikos, and what it means is like spiritual. It's an adjective without a noun. It's, a, it's describing not something, because there's nothing to describe. The Holy Spirit is a person. So word-to-word translation would be like spirituals or spiritual people, or easily the stuff the Spirit does. So eagerly desire above all else this thing that the Spirit does speaking to his people through you and through me. So before we dig in deeper at 1 Corinthians 14, we have to lay a foundation for how to get there first because of all of the complexities that are in this. So if I were to ask you just generally, Do you believe that God speaks? What would you say? Generally, you believe that God speaks, yes? So to put it this way, um, have you ever been in a situation where like somebody is like on your heart? Maybe a friend, a relative, your spouse, whoever it is. And you have this urge to like reach out and to like text them or email them or call them. And when you call them or when you sit down with them, you just express to them like, hey, this is what's been going on. You've like really been on my heart. And I just felt like I needed to share this with you. Perhaps it's a scripture verse. Perhaps it's a picture of them. Whatever it is, just heavy on your heart, this other person is. That's what the scripture writers call prophecy. So if you've ever been in an experience like that, I'm sad to say it. I'm sorry to say it, but you've prophesied. (laughs) You've done it. There's no turning back. (laughs) So how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis, the opening scene in the Word of God, we read, this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit, or the ruach of God, was hovering over the waters. Imagery of like flapping of the wings. This is the imagery in the Hebrew. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there is light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. God God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place, and let the dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and then gathered the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good, and the story goes on. So whatever you believe about what's happening here, whether you believe that this is a literal six days of creation, or like a figurative six days, whether you believe that this happened a couple thousand years ago, or six billion years ago, let me tell you, let me clue you in on something, it doesn't matter. 
The point is that the world was born by the mouth of God. He spoke and it happened. Uh, how many of you can speak and it happens? The, the Latin is ex nihilo, out of nothing, something. The best we can do is create in, in mimicking what once was. When we create, uh, the French word for create is, uh, this, is this one's free. I got to hurry though. Um, the French word for create is um, similar to croissant. Why is, the, why is the croissant shaped like it is? Because when something new was brought forth, they would say, that's create. That's create. The croissant is shaped like that because it's, it symbolizes the first new moon phase coming forth. The new moon is coming forth. So when we create a song or a poem or open a new business or do something that's never been done, we create and we mimic ex nihilo from nothing, something. God spoke and it was. So from the very beginning, we see that God is speaking. He is a speaking God. He loves to speak. Turn over to Numbers. Numbers 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 11, 24 through 29. So Moses went out. And he told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent, the tent of meeting where Yahweh's presence was, the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down, Yahweh came down in the cloud and spoke with him, with Moses. And he took the Ruach, the spirit that was on Moses, and he put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they what? Prophesied. But they did not do so again. I love this story. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on these guys and they prophesied in the camp with everybody else, with the people. A young man ran and told Moses, Dad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Tattletale. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' uh, aide since youth, spoke up and he said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, here it is, check it out. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's, all Yahweh's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his ruach, his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. What's going on here? Moses, for those of you who know, is like the writer of the first five books of the Bible, scholars tell us, and it's called the Torah or the law of God. And Moses, so far as we know, so he's transcribing what God is speaking to him, what we now call the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So by all extents and purposes, we can honestly say to one another, Moses is the first prophet. Moses is the first prophet. And so here we have in Numbers this example of Moses saying, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all Yahweh's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. The very first prophet in the history of Israel says God's heart for the rest of time immemorial. That it's God's heart that, all, that one day all people 
will prophesy. So the very first prophet lays the foundation. Moses says, I wish that everyone will prophesy. Now turn to Joel. We're flipping around a bit. I know. It's okay. Might need the concordance for this. Okay, Joel 2, verse 28. This is a prophecy. Joel is a prophet in Israel, and he's pointing forward to a day where what? Israel's not in a good spot right now. They're in exile. They're not doing so hot as a nation. They've turned away from Yahweh to worship foreign gods. And Joel prophesies this. And afterward, I will pour out my ruach, my spirit, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. What's going on here? Joel is looking toward a new age, a new day, afterward. After what? We'll get to it. Where all God's people prophesy. And right from the beginning, we see God's heart in what Joel is speaking. That this thing of prophecy on all flesh, Joel is saying, it's not just relegated to like Moses and his buddies. It's not just relegated for like special times during Israel's history and special people. No, Joel says all flesh will prophesy. So, not just on men, women as well. Not just on older men, but your sons and your daughters as well. Not just rich people, on my servants. Across the socioeconomic uh, spectrum, Joel, the, God through Joel is saying that there is coming a time where everything you know will change about the way people hear God. Now, turn to Jeremiah, last one. This is the goodness right here. It's like to the left of Joel, but it's actually after Joel. The Old Testament isn't in chronological order. So it's to the left in your Bible of Joel, but it's later in time. Okay? Joel, or Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Check this out, you guys. This is the coolest. Jeremiah adds on Joel's idea, and here's what he says. The time is coming, declares the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Check it. So good. I will put my law, my Torah, I will put my, I will put my voice speaking, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Check this one. No longer will a man or woman teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. How good is that? Okay, check it out. What's happening here? What's happening here as he's building on Joel's prophecy 
is that he's saying that there's coming a time, like Joel said, he's like, like my buddy Joel said back then, there's coming a time when, yes, all flesh will prophesy, and it's new. It's in a new way. And the way that it's new, because as far as we can tell in the Old Testament, that God spoke audibly to the prophet, like Moses goes up to Sinai, yes? God speaks to him, gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes down off of the mountain and verbatim delivers the thing to the people. This is how God is speaking in the Old Testament. Joel says, all flesh, and then Jeremiah adds on top of that. He says, no, no, no. It's, just, it's not just all flesh. The way in which it comes is different. The way in which the voice of God comes now is going to be different. It's all about to change. The way it's going to change is that he's going to put it in your mind and write it on your heart through your thinking and your feeling. That is drastically different. So it's not just like the man of God giving like a word of God to the people. Now it's everyone knowing Yahweh in their thinking and in their feeling. Your whole, the whole of who you are. The whole of who you are. This is a new age that's going to be different. From now on, and we know post-Jesus, it's going to be, the vo- check it, the voice of God is going to be direct deposit into your mind and in your heart. And that's really cool. So what does this look like? It looks like a new world of prophecy, dreams, and vision. Go to Acts. We're almost there. We're almost caught up. You guys doing okay? Okay. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, this is a feast, a Jewish feast, They, the followers of Jesus, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, there it is again, wind, ruach, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. We'll get into that next week. As the Spirit enabled them. Now, There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard, uh, heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Skip down. Amazed and perplexed, 12, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. They've had too much wine. So then, Peter gets up, and he's like, I'm going to settle this for y'all. He says, stood up with these crazy people, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, And all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, which doesn't stop a lot of people. But in any case, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And here comes 
the prophecy again. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. So what's happening is that Peter's just like, hey, these guys, they're not drunk. These people are not drunk. What's really happening is that the prophecy that was spoken to all of us hundreds of years ago, it's happening. It's coming true right now. Like nothing like this had ever happened before. All of them began to prophesy. This is something that's unprecedented on the face of the earth. The believers, the followers of Jesus are hanging in Jerusalem. Jesus has said, sit tight, wait, don't move. And so they do. And now there's this bursting forth of the Spirit of God in glorious fulfillment of what the prophet Joel spoke hundreds of years ago. They're not drunk. The promise is fulfilled. Right now. Like here it is. It's happening right before your eyes. So, what's happening at Pentecost is that the voice of God is like similar, but it's different than how God spoke to the prophets. And it raises all sorts of questions. Is this, this, is this the same thing or is this something new? Is this something else? Is this something different? And what we see here in Acts 21 is that it's something similar, but it's different. It's a little bit more subjective. It's impressionistic. It's different. Check out Acts 21. Almost there, I promise. Acts 21. Verses 8 through 14. Leaving the next day, we, Luke is writing, we reached uh, Caesarea, south of Jerusalem, and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four, check it, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Beyonce, all the single ladies are prophesying. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, yeah. They're prophesying. People are like, I've never heard of Beyonce before. Okay. Think like Aretha Franklin in the stratosphere. Okay, I like that. Okay. So all the single ladies are prophesying. After we had uh, been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt from him. He tied his own hands and feet with it, and he said, The Holy Spirit says, Ah, interesting language. Yahweh doesn't say. He doesn't say that Yahweh says. He says the Holy Spirit says. Interesting. The Holy Spirit says, In, the way, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Why are you we It sounds like a great 80s song lyric, doesn't it? 
Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I love this story. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he uh, would not be dissuaded, we gave up and we said, the Lord's will be done. They couldn't change his mind. Here's the, <laughs> we gave up. The Lord's will be done. So what's happening here is that the voice of God in prophecy is similar to how he spoke to the prophets in the Old Testament, but it's something altogether different and all the same beautiful. And Agabus, this guy, notice Agabus' relationship or Paul's relationship to Agabus. The guy, this guy comes and he has this testimony and he's like, hey, I've got this word from God. Here's what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. And I've seen it. I've had revelation and here's what's going to happen. And then notice Paul's relationship with him and how it differs from Moses' relationship with the people in the Old Testament. And this is where it's different. It's similar, but it's different. So what we notice about this is that there are three parts to prophecy. Revelation, interpretation, and application. Revelation, interpretation, and application. That's kind of churchy language. Um, It's the same way as like how we have come to find studying the scriptures. So if you're in a small group, if you're, and I hope that you are in a missional community somewhere, in a small group somewhere, you're finding community. That's what it's about. It's not about here on Sunday. It's about living life with one another. Hopefully you've seen this modeled that it's like we observe what's happening in the text. Yes, this is God's word. We observe it. Oh, I notice like Agabus is like tying Paul's belt around his hands and his feet. And then we interpret. We say, what does this mean? What does that mean that Agabus tied Paul's belt around his hand and around his feet? And then we apply it. We say, what does this mean for me today in our lives? That's O-I-A, O-I-A. And the same thing happens with um, prophecy in this new way, in this new world, right there from the text of dreams, visions, and prophecies. Revelation, interpretation, and application. So where Agabus gets it wrong possibly could be in interpretation or in application. The revelation might be good. Paul does die later on. He is killed for the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's like, eh, I'm going to go anyway. So the revelation isn't the difficult part. That's what I want to let you guys know this morning. That the revelation is not the difficult part. God is always saying something. God is always speaking something. Even in his apparent absence, God is still speaking something. It's the interpretation and the application where things get weird and things get funky a lot of times. And so that's where we want to head. So what is it? What does Paul mean when he talks about prophecy? Now we're caught up, and I have to close in like two minutes. Now we're caught up to our scripture for today. It's in 1 Corinthians 14. Would you turn there, if you're at the other parts? And we read, to follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, or pneumaticos, especially the gift of prophecy. For if anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Let's stop there for a sec. What is prophecy? What is happening when the church comes together and people have a message of wisdom or a message of knowledge, a word of knowledge, or what is, what is happening there? The stuff that the Spirit does, this is really important right here. This is super important. That's why we're taking the phrase spiritual gifts out of play. 
Because if we're right in reading this, it means that prophecy is open to everybody. And Paul is saying, all of us, not just the special man or woman of God, all of us should be doing this. All of, this should be happening in all of our lives. If we claim Jesus, if we follow Jesus, read me there. You, 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 you read, this is for me. So you guys listen up. In 1 Corinthians 2 through 5, notice two things. That prophecy, whatever it is, the stuff the Spirit does, Wayne Grudem says it's speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. There's a spontaneous uh, aspect to it. Whatever it is, notice two things here. Prophecy is for your strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And secondly, that prophecy is rarely about the future. It's not like fortune telling or palm reading or fantasy football. (laughs) And when it is about the future, it's less about prediction and it's more about preparation. So it's less about like, here's the exact day and here's the exact time. Yeah, weigh that one really heavily because what that person's trying to do is tell your fortune, not help prepare you to live godly, a godly life for your future. So it's less about prediction, it's more about preparation. It's like, okay, in light of what you're just telling me, how does this prepare me to live my everyday, ordinary life? Okay? Okay, we'll go back a little bit. How does it come then? How does prophecy come? We'll get into nuts and bolts a little bit. Prophecy comes, as we say, it's more subjective in the New Testament since, uh, uh, since the Old Testament and putting it up against the prophets of the Old Testament. It's more subjective. So prophecy comes as impressionistic. Think Monet, not Da Vinci. You know, Da Vinci's detailed and the genius and its gears and levers. Monet is like, here's what a flower feels like when he paints. Claude Monet, he's a painter. French. It comes impressionistically as a scripture. It could be like, as we talked about earlier, hey, Bob, you were on my heart. And Bob, I just felt like, you know, God just gave me this like Zephaniah 317 verse for you. And I just wanted to share that with you. You know, God delights in you, Bob. Maybe you have a friend named Bob. God delights in you. It could come in a scripture. It could come in a word or a phrase like help. Or like, stop. Or like, Agabus, don't go. (laughs) It could come as a picture. Maybe you're a more visual learner. God could speak to you through a picture. Maybe a group of pictures together, like a short film. Maybe you guys are like super visual and and you see these things like a short movie playing out. It could come as a picture. It could come as an intuition, a gut feeling. You just feel weird about this person. What is it about this person? Well, it could be paranoia or the pizza you ate last night, but it could be God like warning you. Hey, like stay away from that like warning you, or for someone else. It could be, we don't see this in scripture, but I've seen this in my experience with prophecy. It could be a sensation in your body. It could be like you never struggle with like shoulder pain, and you're in a gathering, and all of a sudden your left shoulder is like killing you, and you're like, ah, what is going on there? It's like what people call sympathy pains, or like an empathetic, God is speaking to you, and that thing will go away. Don't worry, that pain in your shoulder, it'll go away. 
and it goes away as you share, like, hey, is there anybody here who's dealing with, like, shoulder pain? And somebody in the back is like, oh my gosh, God sees me. God loves me. And then you get to pray for that person and see their shoulder healed. It could be in a dream or a vision. Prophecy could come that way. The difference being in a dream you're sleeping and in a vision you're awake. Um, That could be the way that the Lord speaks to you. But it comes in a lot of different ways. The main thing is that when it comes, it's for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. This is what, you guys... This is so key, what Paul is saying. This is what the voice of God sounds like. Strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. And it's crazy, but the exact, it's like the exact opposite of what the enemy sounds like. So later Paul talks about, like, if it's tearing you down, like, that's the enemy. If it's building you up, if it's encouraging you, if it's strengthening you, and it underlines what Scripture is saying, yes, that's a huge thing. If the prophecy underlines what Scripture is saying, what God's already doing in your life, that's the voice of God. The voice of God is always strengthening, always encouraging, always comforting. The, the enemy is an eternal pessimist. Prophecy, the voice of God, should be like a yellow highlighter in what God is already saying in your life. 1 Corinthians 14, 22 through 25, hurrying through. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone, how many? Everyone speaks in tongues and inquires or unbelievers come in. They, will they not say that you are out of your mind But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone, how many? Everyone. Who? Everyone. Everyone is prophesying. They are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. Key. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So Paul is laying out what he envisions the church in Corinth to look like. The problem at the church in Corinth is that they're all out of order. Everything's whacked out. It's crazy. We don't have that problem at Vineyard Cleveland. We have like sheets. We have like, and Jonathan does a wonderful job. Look at that. It's like detailed. To the, doesn't he do a wonderful job? We don't have that problem. Our problem is we're too ordered. We need shaken up a little bit. But not so with the church in Corinth. And what Paul is saying is that he envisions a church where everyone prophesies. And then notice the effect that, that people say, God is with you guys. It's not just a meeting anymore. And side note, be careful in a, in a community where prophecy is at work. Because God knows your secrets. <laughs> and this is, this is really painful and it's so good. Because God just might tell your secrets to the person sitting next to you. And it's going to be good because God wants you to look more like him. And it's also painful. But God knows you very much. And he loves you very much. God is here. That's the whole point. And he's got things that he wants to say. You know, some people think that when like God co-authored the final book of the Bible with John in Revelation, that he, it was this big um, cosmos mic drop. And he's like, that's it. I'm all done. I have nothing further to say to you. I'll see you at resurrection. Don't forget to read your Bibles. Peace. <laughs> oh, how crazy is that? 
right? Now more than ever, we need the voice of God. And Paul is saying, whether to the church in Corinth or to Vineyard Cleveland in our day and age, hey, God is speaking. He still has things he wants to say to you and to me. God is here. God is here. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Paul envisions a church where it's participatory. Oh my, OMG, you guys, the American Evangelical Church, is it more, is it not more like a restaurant today than a family? Hey, you know, that pastor, he was like really great. I mean, the word, we talk about church like it's a movie. We give Google reviews on churches. Oh, the music was too loud. Oh, the music was too soft. Oh, that pastor wore jeans. Oh, he's wearing a hat. Oh, the kids' ministry is terrible. My kids really didn't feel safe. Blah, 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 blah. They're like, we walk into Chipotle and we're like, I'll take a barbacoa and, you know, I'll have that in a bowl. And then maybe I'll get like a side of prophecy to sprinkle in, but not too much. Don't get too close to me, God. I don't want too close. Just enough cilantro. Yeah, white rice. I like it bland. Let's have some of that. And like hymnal worship, I'll take some of that too. That'll be fine. Thank you, God. Oh, medium or hot salsa? Oh, I take pico. I don't want either one. And it's this consumer attitude that's ripping the church apart from the inside out. Because then pastors are like, oh, I got to make you guys happy. I got to make you guys happy. Let's put this on the menu and put that on the menu. And it serves no purpose whatsoever. Paul envisions a participatory church, a family, a gathering where the people of Jesus come together, whether the worship sucks or it's awesome, whether the preaching sucks, at least it's on Jesus. And you're getting it from the word. And you're getting the truth. And there's love in the room. Yeah, I will. Thank you. <laughs> so it's participatory, and God envisions a community where he's speaking. 1 Corinthians 20, 14, 29 through 31. Two or three prophets should speak. So here again, be eager. Paul's like making it mandatory. Two or three prophets should speak. This should be happening. And the others, we don't know who the others are like everybody else, should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So he's um, talking about pro uh, prophecy like specifically weigh it. Weigh it. What's going on? And revelation, the spontaneity of, of prophecy, if it comes, when it comes, everyone is to be instructed. There's not one person to have a monopoly on prophecy. It's not like this person is like the prophetess or this person is the prophet and the voice of God only comes through this one person. So how is this done? Nuts and bolts of stuff. Are we still doing okay? Can I go, Tammy, can I go a couple minutes longer? I have to check with Tammy. She's like the mom, okay? We're okay? Couple minutes. Go check on him. Okay, because this is really important. How is this done in the church? So some simple stuff here um, about how prophecy is done in the church. Simply, we create space and we listen. 
We create space and we listen. We do this. We did this this morning. God maybe spoke a number of things to a number of different people in the room this morning. We just create space here, not just in the church, but in your everyday lives as well. Just creating space for God opens up his voice to you individually. See what comes to mind. Hey, what's coming to my mind right now? That's a good question to ask. Then... Asking God for interpretation or application. Who is this for and when is this for? Who is this for? When is this for? And then lastly, delivering the message. So revelation, interpretation, application, and then deliver the message. You guys, don't ever say God said, please. Can we just stop with that? It's like I want to be like Kendrick Lamar and just be like, sit down. Be humble. Show some humility and don't say God said. Hey, God said. Like, deliver it with some humility and some love and some courage. Like, ask. Don't accuse. Say, hey, is this going on with you right now? Don't deliver it in a sense of pride. Never, you guys, never, ever, ever prophesy from a place of anger. Or pride, like I'm better than you because I don't deal with the sin that you deal with, is really what we're saying when we deliver a prophecy like that. Do it in love, with courage and with love. So how do we receive it? On the other side of things, how do we receive a prophecy? 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, we read, Do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Don't quench it. Don't just omit it. What does that mean, to not quench the Spirit of God? Don't just omit it from your record. Like, take it to heart. Don't hold it in contempt. Don't be like, eh, yeah, it's not for me. Even if it seems outlandish, like, take it to heart. And then on the flip side, Paul says, Weigh it. Don't just swallow it whole. This thing that somebody is giving to you, don't swallow it whole. Test it. Weigh it. It's more subjective. Uh, in other places we hear, we hear in part, we see in part. We hear imperfectly. Weigh it carefully. God says that you should quit your job. Well, I'm going to quit my job. God says so. No. Weigh that crap. Like, like, let that settle for a minute before you, like, up and quit your job. And then ask, does this line up with Scripture? Does it confirm what the Spirit is already doing in my life? In other words, chew the meat and spit the bones out. Balance. I love it that we want to be this both and church to balance the tension. That we feel this tension in, like, okay, I'm going to, let this into my life because I do believe that God speaks. Yes, Lord, speak to me. But at the same time, I'm not just going to take everything like it's verbatim word from God. Like think about Paul and Abigail. And then lastly, the last thing, he opens with it and he closes with it. Be eager to prophesy. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy in verse 39. Be eager to hear the voice of God. And we're going to close here. Like, this is, this is where we get to it. You might be in a, in a spot in your life where you're like, gosh, yeah, all of these nuts and bolts about prophecy are great, but I don't hear God at all. 
You talk about the voice of God like it's some fluid thing that's always happening, but I am not experiencing even the slightest cricket chirp. I can't even hear the crickets chirping that are signifying that God isn't speaking. That's where you might be. I sense that God would want to speak to you this morning. That he would want to unclog the drain. That he would want to open you up to hearing his voice in a new way. Would you join me in standing?